Remember, remember the 5th of November, the Owen Patterson scandal and plot. Welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. Welcome back to the Lib Dem podcast. And today we were going to have a week off. We thought not much going on. We've done lots of interviews. We can have a week off. But no, the circus that is this government has forced us to come back. But I first thought, actually, I should start the podcast. That was horrendous of me. Or to all our circus watchers, that was an incredible insult to your fine organisations. This government does not deserve to be compared to your... Because it actually has a ringleader of circus, unlike the Conservative parties at the moment. So joining us today, we have some new faces. We have some, I was going to say old faces, but we'll say established. So joining us uh, is David McKenzie. Hi, David. Hi, John. Good to be back. Uh, David is a, a Lib Dem campaigner that's been around the country, but last seen in Glasgow, Kelvin. Um, we also have Sam Alhamdani. Introduce yourself, Sam. Hello, Sam. Soon to be ex-chair of Oldham Liberal Democrats, but still doing all the counselling stuff. Very good. And two new faces. Very excited to the podcast. Well, introduce who has impressed me on our LGA leaders meetings we have alison bennett who is the leader of i'm gonna i'm gonna get this mid sussex liberal yeah. democrats is that right there we go That's right. so many different sussexes they have to have a mid <laughs> one so welcome to the podcast alison thanks for the invite john and a very special guest today who was for some reason is might have more of an insight on our main topic than others we have we have helen helen morgan who is was big upon our our candidate in 2019 for north shropshire who is now going to be in the news quite a bit, I think, that constituency. Welcome to the podcast, Helen. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be on. Right. OK, David, shall we start with you and trying to explain just what has happened in this last week? So assume our listeners know absolutely nothing. I've never heard of Owen Patterson. What has happened this week? Yeah, well, basically, Owen Patterson has obviously been... Uh, targeted for a lobbying scandal. He's been taking, I think it was £8,500 per month uh, from a large pharmaceutical company called Radnox um, to lobby on their behalf. Uh, obviously, as well, Owen Patterson is a former government minister uh, and was lobbying things like the International Aid Department, um, as well as looking at what potential contracts from a health perspective Radnox could pick up. So obviously, not exactly the done thing, particularly, uh, you know, I should say he uh, continues to deny any uh, any illegal activities and also denies doing any wrongdoing uh, in taking this money and says it was all declared and upfront in parliamentary expenses. But obviously it's not a good look. And also it's not a good look for the government that they were prepared to try and push this under the carpet. And also, you know, blatantly try and change the rules to cover up for the for the scandal that was that was coming. I mean, he, do you know what he says is his only crime? That he used House of Commons notepad paper. And I think that if that is your own, if that is his perspective, because that's it, because there's been no contrition. Alison has that on, on all this issue, the fact that whatever Owen Patterson, and it was a damning report into, and it took place over, it wasn't just a one incident. It started in 2016 and went through several years of him doing various lobbying issues. It, 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 there really was no denial on him that he had done anything wrong, really. No, and um, in his resignation statement yesterday, he maintains his innocence. Um, <clears throat> I thought the resignation statement actually was was like if something out of a Shakespearean tragedy. It was it was awful and terribly sad, but absolutely no contrition. And so I feel for him and his family on a very personal level. But in terms of what went on, and I think he probably did do the things he was accused of. Yeah, he's uh, not backing down. But no Tory no has said he didn't do anything wrong, though. This is the, this is the, 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 the strangeness of this argument. And, Helen, I, I, um, you've been in, in the midst of this, but it is strange because not one Tory on all this debacle that's happened this week in terms of... So the, he was found guilty. It was a really damning verdict. No mm. Conservative has said that he didn't do what he did because no it was so obvious that he had... And yet then they tried to change the rules afterwards. They couldn't have handled this any worse, the Tories. No, not at all. I mean, I think, you know, the rules are there not only to protect the public from people taking money and and the the people giving them that money getting a gain. They're there to protect the individual from accusations of inappropriate behaviour. So I think if you break those rules, 
it doesn't matter if there are kind of mitigating circumstances. The rules are, are, are clear and explicit. And if you break them, you risk people making the wrong or even the right conclusions about, about why you broke those rules. So, you know, the, the rules are clear and they were broken. And, and, and from that perspective, the other circumstances around them are irrelevant, really. Yeah, and and so I suppose the other circumstances that's come up, and this is something where this get the, the plot gets very thick with this. Sam is obviously the death of Owen Patterson's wife, who 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 sadly took took her own life last year. Now, what has sat very uneasy for me is that I I haven't heard a single MP bring this up as any sort of issue whatsoever in terms of you know the contributory factor of the investigation. It was only Owen Patterson that seems to have brought this up about his wife's death. But it, it's just made the whole thing very ugly across, and, and, and also quite tragic as well, Sam. It is. And it, it, it is a clearly a horrible thing for him and his family to have gone through. And, and everyone has every sympathy for you know, him, his family, what he's gone through. Um, but that's, that does seem to be a different thing to what is being discussed as part of this case. And as you said before, John, this is something that's been going on since 2016. So, I mean, I, I don't know what his personal circumstances were at the time, but that doesn't seem to be related. Um, I, it is possible to hold those two things separately and to have those as completely separate concerns. And everything I've seen so far has done that, you know, has held sympathy for him, which, you know, in, in terms of what he's gone through, he clearly deserves that. But in terms of what he seems to have done in terms of asking questions and accepting that money, you know, that, that's not, it was a cross-party committee and there were Conservatives on it. They found him guilty of that. Yeah, unanimously. Uh, there was one Conservative, I think it was Bernard Jenkins, who was on the committee that said, because he had a close uh, friendship with Owen Patterson, recused himself from the committee. It was unanimous, that decision against him. That's why it's it's, it's been really, and I'm interested to see anyone from the from the panel here actually talk about have the Tories just massively mishandled this in terms of made it far worse for Owen Patterson as well? Because I think actually, they have, to be yeah. quite honest with you. I think, I think if they had taken a view that, you know, there was admission of wrongdoing, that broken the rules, that's inappropriate, but maybe the sanction should be reduced out of compassion for him under the, you know, under these tragic circumstances. I think a lot of people locally would have ha- would have been fairly happy with that. But the fact that that Boris Johnson has this appalling judgment and decides that, you know, he's just going to change the rules to get his man out of a difficult spot, I think has gone down very badly locally. Now, there's, there's, there's a lot of, Sam, so just before I bring you in, there's a lot of chat as well about is there some ulterior motive behind this? Because obviously one of the things when the, the, the Conservatives, the Angela uh, Leadsom Amendment came in, quite a number of people who then voted to change the rules were also had been under investigation. Uh, and it, and also it was the thing that Owen Patterson also voted for, uh, for the, the amendment that would have dealt with him, which again, seems all very unseemly, but do we think this is an ulterior motive? Someone saying, you know, Boris Johnson is also under investigation at the moment. Now, is that just us being on the other side of this thinking, getting a few conspiracy theories in our head, or do we not take anything for granted with this government? Well, in, in terms of, you know, ulterior motives, we, we talked before about whether, you know, you are looking to be guilty or are guilty. And they are, you know, the rules are there, we said, to stop you from coming across as having done the wrong thing, as well as to stop you doing the wrong thing. Well, clearly, the government here, whether there are ulterior motives or not, play into that massively. They are doing something which looks horribly guilty regardless of whether we think they are or not. And that also, I mean, one of the things I did was when I sort of read through this was go back to when a lot of these rules were introduced and looked at things like um, Neil Hamilton. You know, these rules were introduced because there was a, a, a massive sort of culture of at least letting things go, if not outright corruption. And that needed to be dealt with. And we seem to be going through the same thing again, this time undoing all the positive changes that happened after a, a, a case of something similar. I mean, in, in that case, he was putting forward amendments on behalf. He wasn't just lobbying, he was changing legislation. But it just seems like the same motives and the same philosophy 
uh, and the same belief in a lack of guilt, the same lack of shame coming through again. So I think what's perhaps different now compared to the 1990s is that at least in the 1990s, regardless of what you think about John Major and the whole, I don't think he was encouraging the undermining of standards. True, that's true. Whereas where we're at now, we have a prime minister who doesn't care and hasn't cared repeatedly on a number of things ever since he became leader and before. Um, And it probably served his purposes to undermine the standard system. And he doesn't care what the optics are like. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praterreigns.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. In the papers today, there's a lot of complaints from Tory MPs and it's widely briefed to the kind of Westminster journalists how displeased they are with Boris Johnson and uh, the chief whip, because a lot of these MPs that voted, including one of the, the Preston MPs, voted uh, for this amendment. And then have had, so they've had to walk up this hill, then have walked back down it. If you were a Tory that was unhappy about this, to, to get them to do that and then retract it a day later, you just look like an idiot. And I, I can't imagine, I mean, David, what, I mean, the morale within the Tories is not obviously something I'm overly concerned about. And hello to all people from CCHQ, by the way, which we want to say hello to you this episode. Um, but it would drive me absolutely spare if I had to do something I wasn't comfortable with and then had to change it a, a 24 hours later. Mm. Yeah, and let, let's be honest, uh, <laughs> The whips will have come in with tactics to get people to vote for this. It will probably make them feel extremely uncomfortable themselves. And then to obviously, as you say, retract that a day later, it's not going to do anything but create ill feeling amongst the, you know, and I'd say some very senior Conservative MPs that have served, you know, time in government and have also been in Parliament for decades who are very, very unhappy with this. Um, But as you say, you know, I, I think this is endemic of Boris Johnson's premiership. And I do not think this will be the last sleaze or corruption scandal that's going to come from this government. Is it a bit? Is it, do you think this is a big issue? And I, I mean, and we're inside a play. I was actually genuinely quite surprised they rode back on it the day after. I, I was surprised with some of the headlines, obviously, because I always try and take a view as we're inside this kind of political bubble. It, do most people just factor in politicians are kind of corrupt or sleazy as, as much as we try and uh, try and prove otherwise as good old Lib Dems? But actually, you know, you, you think of general public opinion of politicians is fairly low. Mm-hmm. Were we surprised that the government U-turned? I mean, was it did it really cut through that much with the, the members of the public? I, mean, I, I think so. I was at work on Wednesday um, and then you know, just kind of around and about a little bit. So we didn't speak to hundreds of people, but the people I did speak to were pretty shocked. Mm. You know, I think I think it offends people's sense of fair play, to be quite honest with you. No, I mean, and that's really, I mean, it must, like I said, it must have then, someone who works for myself at home, you know, trying to get political opinions out of my dog is very difficult. So, but that, <laughs> that is actually very interesting to know that it did actually cut through. Um, now, although, although, John, I heard Bosley said it had been a rough week. Oh, no. So this is what happens when David's sleep deprived and comes on the podcast. He starts making dog jokes. Um, <laughs> but it, now the fallout from this. Let's, so Labour, actually, and I, I, when I listened back, I thought Angela Rayner did quite well at Prime Minister's questions, particularly for those of people that saw it, because obviously Rob Roberts, who had been found to have sexually harassed uh, I think it was was it one of his staff members as well. I can't remember, or, or, or someone within the someone within Westminster. They didn't want to change the rules for him, and even though the census, but I were willing to do it. This it came across like just a complete shambles from the toilet. And do we think this is endemic of this? You've talked about Hov, uh, Boris's um, premiership, 
But the idea that things aren't thought through, whether that's the Brexit deal, whether that's Afghanistan, whether whatever, that they just seem to be just flying by the seat of the pants. I mean, Alison, what, what are your impressions? Wasn't it David Cameron that used to be called the um, essay crisis prime minister, that he used to just deal with the thing that had to be dealt with you know, by midnight that night? And I think Johnson's taken it to a whole new level. Um, and I think it just comes down to the fact that he doesn't care. He's not a details person. And it's all about him and his status as world king. Yeah. And, and like always, we, we, you, you talk about, and Sam, that it, the cover-up is almost worse than the crime. And actually, we're going to talk about uh, Northropshire North uh, in a second. But actually, if there'd been a recall posi- uh, petition for Owen Patterson before this happened, what, how many people? It would have been a, quite a tough slog getting those signatures, uh, and it would have been a much tougher fight than, this, what, than the subsequent by-election is going to be because it's basically elevated this issue into a big national issue on the front of all the pages yeah Uh, yeah and you know he was he had such a massive majority he was there was clearly massive popularity there and trying to get a recall position uh uh, petition when you've got that level of support is probably you know i've not tried to do it myself but it looks like i think that will be difficult but i think i mean we've talked previously about how um both you know the lack of cut through on opposition to this government and i think what you know you asked before has this issue cut through the reason why the labor party were able to get traction and oppose this and we've done the same is because it has had that broader connection you know the public were already angry about this and therefore when we made the objections when labor made the objections it married up public opinion with the attack line that we were taking on this and so that is where you get that cut through that kind of impact so that we can take on this conservative government and it be effective but it relies on that kind of that marriage that people do already have some thought that yeah yeah this is a a government that is doing things wrong and we don't think it's acceptable and you're you're saying what we think and that that is what an effective opposition is is when people think that the government is doing wrong, carrying that forward, making that point, and making it larger and better. Do you think this government actually doesn't act like it's got a, an 80-seat majority? I'm thinking of, like, the three kind of big kind of public scandals that have happened. There's been lots of scandals that we would love to have got, but the ones that have really caught the public eye were Dominic Cummings, Matt Hancock, and now this. All of them have had some sort of level of sleaze and obviously the Matt Hancock one shamefully had a little bit of sex involved as well which none of us want to none of us want to see that video ever again but it's but again it's like again on all those issues there was that that ring of protection Dominic Cummins has done fine nobody you know he was just testing out his eyesight you know Matt Hancock this is all thing and then it it was only at a point when the public got engaged did they very quickly just cut that limb off what is it to do with the papers looking at the headlines yesterday um, I think the Express and the Telegraph didn't lead on Patterson yesterday, but the Mail did, didn't they? And it was, you know, MP shame and, you know, big headline. Um, and is it, you know, is it that influence that, that is driving them? Is it, oh, if we've, like, upset the Mail, that's when we need to rethink. Mm, it's interesting. Go on, Dave. Is, is it also, John, because when you're talking about these three sort of scandals that have come up, is it purely because, as the Prime Minister, he does not have a leg to stand on to criticise these people for doing <laughs> these things? Because True. sex scandals, yes, he's had them. You know, I'll say allegedly, because I don't want to get myself into any legal problems, but allegedly when he was London Mayor, there was a lot of questions around people that were being given funding, etc., and their access to Boris Johnson. Um I think it's it becomes difficult for somebody like that to take a stand against sleaze and corruption because what's their position on it? And it was really interesting. I, I recommend to all Lib Dems uh, listening to this to listen to the Times Red Box podcast. I, I find it really good as a kind of a, a, a more neutralish kind of podcast. And they do a monthly focus group. And the one that was like two days ago was talking about perceptions of Boris Johnson. And the public, and it was a focus group, so it's not an opinion poll, so it is a very small number of people. But the, that is, the, what you were just saying there, David, they kind of knew he was a clown, and they knew he wasn't trustworthy, but they kind of thought he was a genuine clown, as in so he wasn't a clown trying to pretend to be other than else than a clown, which I think sometimes can frustrate us 
in terms of why do people not get so angry with Boris Johnson all the time, whether that's the, the Akuri incident I think you were referring to, David, or all the other stupid stuff that he does. That, But actually, it's these. I wonder if it's the drip-drip effect of all this stuff now that is showing that I certainly seeing when I'm out canvassing support for Tories and moderate kind of one-nation Tories slipping away in terms of like, just the government just seems like a complete shambles. So, but that's one side. So Owen Patterson has now stood down, which means now North Rockshire is going to have a by-election. And of which case, Helen, you are the perfect person to talk to, as in, because you fought the seat in 2019, but also part of the, the Lib Dem team over there. So do you want to give us a, and our listeners a little bit of a brief of what that seat is like? How how powerful are the Lib Dems? Is it a growing team, etc.? Yeah, so I think the, the overriding thing about North Shropshire is that it's a campaigning nightmare. So it's one of the most sparsely populated or dispersed populations in, in the country. And we've got five market towns, the biggest of which is Oswestry, and everyone else lives in villages with up to about 200 houses in them. So it's um, there's a lot of space to cover and people are quite thinly spread out. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, you can't deliver 100 leaflets in an hour in North Shropshire. <laughs> um and or in certainly large swathes of it anyway um so I, I was saying before we went on air and we feel really as if we're sort of on the cusp of making some big inroads here um in 2019 we came third we got 10 percent but we had doubled our vote share um that was pretty good in the lead voting area and we were also caught up in, in some of the issues around getting leaflets out with the with the problems with the printing that, that were uh, had across a number of constituencies. So, um, you know, we've got a really motivated team. We had, I think we hand-delivered 30,000 leaflets in 2019. So a, a motivated team. And then we had local elections this year. Um, Shropshire Council's been in a bit of a state of crisis, I think it would be fair to say. It's, it's conservative run and has been for years. Um, we have some of the worst pothole issues in the country, and we have this um, scandal over buying shopping centres for 50-odd million pounds and them now being essentially worthless, and, and most of that decline in value happening before the COVID crisis. So there have been some really meaty issues to get stuck into here. And sort of having come from nowhere, really, we, uh, we nearly took five seats. We were within 100 votes of three, and we were within another hundred of another two. So we felt as if we did really well. We, we came a clear second. We fielded far more candidates than Labour or the Greens. So we felt as if we, we did really well. We've got a proper team. We're very well organised. Um, and we just didn't quite have enough time, I think, with COVID to, to get those final deliveries out that would have got us those five seats. So in some ways, it was a little bit dis- disappointing. And in other ways, as I say, we feel as if we're on the cusp of making real inroads here. It's um, so just to give everyone listening a bit of a, a profile. So this seat has last time it wasn't Tory was eighteen thirty two. Is the correct time as well? But you know what? I remember it well, John. <laughs> yes, I was going to say yeah. it's a good job Richard Kemp isn't on because he'll talk about that particular election. Um, yeah, but so it has been a Tory safe seat. Owen Patterson got sixty two percent. Yeah, sixty two point seven percent of the vote. But for, okay, let's go right back to square one though. Does it, the panel have views, and Helen, you can sit out this one if you want, about whether we should stand in this election? Because has uh, whenever there's a by-election now, there are people on particularly Twitter saying, you know, Progressive Alliance, we're never going to get rid of the Tories if we don't stand, and all the rest of it. We should have Martin Bell come back or something like that and do this thing. Obviously, slight difference here when Martin Bell stood, he was standing against the person accused, so this is slightly different. But uh, let's go with you, David. What are your thoughts? Do we, do we stand? Do we fight this? Yeah, I think we do. Um, I think you're, you're absolutely right in what you said there. You know, when um, I had the, the privilege to interview Martin Bell last year, actually, and uh, and that really was a case of he's standing against somebody who was in the midst of a corruption scandal that wanted to be elected again. And it was about a joint effort to unseat somebody that was in a very safe Conservative seat that neither probably Labour or ourselves at that time had any real chance of winning. And it was to make a stand against that. I think this time... Um, Obviously, with uh, with Owen Patterson having stood down, I think it's only right from a democratic perspective that we allow the, the general public to make a decision about what party and what values would best represent uh, North Shropshire. And also, um, we give them the opportunity to have their democratic right 
through to pick. And I, I honestly think, just based on what Helen said and also the things that I've seen from the area, that we have a very good chance as well of you know that sort of um, that blue wall seat of really making inroads there. So I think it's down to us to stand in this election. Alison? I think I might have been interested if there had been a non-party aligned candidate standing on an anti-sleaze ticket. But already this morning, I've just had the news on and Labour have said they've ruled that out, having had conversations with us and the Greens. So it's off the agenda. Um, and on that basis, yeah, we should we should stand and we should do our best. You know, if nothing else, um, it will build our infrastructure in North Shropshire, I imagine, Helen, and give members, you know, something to work towards. And coming from a, a large rural area, not dissimilar to North Shropshire, um, that's all to the good. Sam? I, I mean, I've just had every thought that I was about to say <laughs> taken out of work. And already said, I, it's exactly that. There wasn't. There's not the same clarity of you know. Martin Bell, Bell was a very clear choice and was a very obvious candidate to stand against Neil Hamilton, and there doesn't seem to be uh, any equivalent of that. Um, so this is about giving people that option to to look at what the alternatives are and and for everybody to have their say as well. You know, it's this is a a, a, a situation where there is a real challenge to this government that. They have they engaged with the idea of saying this is okay, and so everybody needs to be able to stand up against that and say no, it's not. You know, this is we are different to this. We, you know, we're we're different in a different way to Labour are. You know, we need to put across our values and how they are a challenge to what has happened, and, and everybody needs that opportunity. And it's interesting. And again, I'm not trying to make Helen blush here, but obviously 2019. We doubled our vote. Okay, we came. We still came third, but we got say ten percent of the vote in a in a in an election where Lib Dems were squeezed every which way. And actually, it, very interesting. I'm actually quite excited about this by election. Not just because it's a it's a. Uh, do we count Shropshire as being northwest? I want to. I want to. I want to say it's not. I want to say it's northwest. It's but definitely actually, west. <laughs> having a by election that's within driving distance of people like myself, as well as it's very easy to get people from Wales and the Midlands everywhere to come to come to that thing. It gives us a chance. And I'm always of the opinion it's a chance not just to do what Alison said, is to engage the local party. We saw in Chesham and Amersham that even though, even if we hadn't have won Chesham and Amersham, which it was brilliant that we did, we had got thousands of points of data, loads of po uh, poster sites, dozens upon dozens of new local activists getting involved in politics for the first time. There are broader um, successes than just winning. Um, and I suppose, Helen, that's something you'll be considering as things go forward. Yeah, I mean, as a party, as I say, we've we've got quite a good um, network of of activists and and deliverers, but uh, you know, we're a small party ultimately, so we we really want to engage our members. And we sent an email out last week, and uh, we had a really good response from it. So I think people are are ready to be engaged. Um, just in general, I mean, I'm not a big fan of of standing down a candidate because I think if we want to change politics in Britain as political parties, we need to make a case that we can win. And that people should vote for us on their own merits. And I think once you start standing down and and saying, well, you know, we're just a, an, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? A sort of a, a, a subsection of Labour or whatever. Yeah. I think I think that's unhelpful. I think we need to be able to stand on our own two feet and make our own case, as, as do the other parties. And I think, you know, a better political future involves people understanding what those parties stand for and, and being and wanting to vote for them. And significantly, the Labour vote went down quite a lot in the la in 2019 as well. And I think, mm. am I right? I think you, you'll get, you'll correct me that if you took the local elections this year, the Lib Dems came out uh, a second place in North Shropshire. Really second, yeah. We fielded far more candidates than um, than any anyone else, other than the Conservatives. And uh, yeah, we came we got 20 percent in the local elections, so that was good. We we were. On a lot of ballot papers, there was just us and a Conservative candidate. There were there was no other candidates um, fielded, so we feel as if we're the best organised, certainly. And I suppose to any our any of our listeners who uh, don't know how they can get involved, firstly, uh, I, I made a joke on the Lib Dem on one of the Lib Dem groups said, "Look, an hour's passed. Surely the the virtual HQ must be set up by now, and it already has." By all means, do if you're a Lib Dem member, there's there is a virtual HQ on Facebook where you can find out what's going on. You if you can't get to Shropshire yourself when the by-election happens, you there are always ways 
money is a key thing with by-elections. By-elections cost a lot of money. So if you're able to donate money to help the campaign, that's brilliant. You can also phone calling and everything else that you can do from a distance, or if you can get there and help out, please do. But also, uh, remind. it's also an excellent way to energise your troops as well, because lots of us have elections next year. I certainly do. And by-elections can be an excellent way of motivating people, actually. Because we've got, remember, whatever happens in North Shropshire, that actually we've got lots of elections across the country and using that to build up your team. Look at this. Look what's happening. It's a great, like a a weekend out or whatever out to go Mm -hmm. and do that. I think it's very useful. I mean, Alison, did you get yourself to Cheshire Amersham? Would you always recommend a by-election to get your spirits up? Yeah, I made it to Cheshire Amersham. And actually the first place I ever knocked on a door was in the Richmond Park by-election. Sort of sort of idly, yeah, I'll do that for the day, potted over. And they said, would you like to knock on a door? There's this thing called Connect. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was knocking on doors. So, yeah, it's a great way to learn. And then I went back, came back to Mid-Sussex and told everybody in Mid-Sussex, there's this thing called Connect. There's a thing called Minivan. We should use it. And, it, yeah, as you say, it, it sort of spreads skills and spreads expertise. And it's, I suppose it's one of those things, Sam and David, that we, we've got really nothing to lose in terms of selections, it's almost one where we can just go and go and enjoy it almost just go campaign. We're on the right side of this. And I think there will be a lot of moderate Tories that will either not want to vote given what's happened or be willing to lend their vote to another party and hand on heart. We saw in Cheshire and Amersham, if, if Lib Dems look like they're the big challengers, then it will be us and nobody else. Yeah, I, I mean, the last by-election I went to was battling in Spen, and that was one where, you know, a very different environment. But we were out going around kind of conservative areas where, you know, the, the wards where it's conservative and liberal Democrat challenging. And that sort of, even there, in a very different environment, that was still happening. We were still talking to sort of moderate conservatives and them being very positive towards us. So I, there's a, a real opportunity for a lot more of that. And that and that energising, you know, even on Bantley and Spen, where we weren't ever going to challenge, going around those wards still felt really positive. Um, and, and there's the opportunity for that on a much larger scale, I think. Um, and certainly, I, I, you know, I was working out my driving times to get down there. Um, I'm still going to be, going, you know, I'm aware of local elections coming up next time. So I'm going to, you know, it's going to be a balanced thing. But I, I will certainly be down a couple of times, I think. <laughs> you can hold him to that, Helen. He said it publicly now. He, he... <laughs> but, uh, David, of course, this isn't the only potential by-election that's coming. And I'm not talking about, obviously, the the, the David Amos one. Claudia Webb has been fa- has been sentenced for um, in Leicester East MP. Now... She has been sentenced by a judge. Now, she is currently an independent because um, she had the whip removed. Now, the sentencing was so severe um, that it passed the threshold that a that a recall petition can now be done. Now, I'd love to get your feelings on it, David, but my opinion, if I was running Labour HQ, I would get that recall petition going as soon as possible because that's that is there's only got a 6,000 majority over the Tories in Leicester East. While... The Owen Patterson by-election is happening in North Shropshire. I'm really struggling with that word today. North Shropshire. Why would Labour not do that until the, the Tories' attention is split? That's what I would do if I was Labour. What are your thoughts, David? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would tend to agree. I mean, I think um, from from everything I'm hearing from former people, you know, that I used to be involved with in the Labour Party, I think that's probably already underway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've seen there's already been pressure put on Claudia to do the, the, the honourable thing and resign. Um, and walk away to avoid a situation where obviously her constituents have to go through a very difficult recall um, petition to, to oust her from the seat. Um, whether you know that remains to be seen, whether she will make that decision to, to, to step away. But yeah, I do think um, we we will get to a point where there is another by-election in Leicester East. The other interesting thing is um, I have seen uh, intimations by one George Galloway that he intends to stand in any by-election that would be happening in Leicester East. Uh, obviously, from what we saw in uh, Batley and Spen, you can probably uh, look at what he intends to do in that seat and the things he intends to target, which also makes it very difficult for Labour in that regard. So they're going to face a difficult challenge of holding off the Tories, uh, holding off George Galloway eating into a certain section of their electorate, um, and trying to get rid of Claudia Webb at the same time. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very difficult by-election for Labour. 
Do, thoughts on the rest of the panel? Well, I'm wondering... I'm, sorry. I was going to say, go. John, is, isn't your hope that Labour get going in Leicester East so that they kind of ignore Shropshire North and uh, let us sort of sail through? That's yeah, kind of, that, but I also think uh, catching up on what David said. I think that's Labour's best chance as well. I think I think this Leicester East is going to be very difficult. I think the whole of North Shropshire is going to be delighted that George Galloway might be distracted by somewhere else. Um, but if I was a Labour Party strategist, I would think our best chance is do this while the Labour while the Tories are distracted. Uh, and you know, I mean, the Tories will probably still throw more at Leicester East than they would in North Shropshire. I think Cheshire and Amersham. Spook them, but I think they'll think, well, right, we should be okay. I mean, that's great for, I mean, and both of those things play into our hands. We are, at, I mean, the issue of complacency was one of the big issues in Cheshire and Amateur that we picked up on the door. People saying, well, you know, we we don't hear from our local Tories very much. And I'm sure that, and it happens in safe seats, Sam. I think it's about, you know, people talk a lot about kind of progressive alliance and so on. And I'm not particularly a fan, because I, I don't think the evidence necessarily backs it. But it's about intelligent campaigning and campaigning to your strengths, campaigning to where you can have an impact. You know, the, it, it, if you're not going to have an impact, why would you kind of pile in somewhere? So it makes it makes sense for everybody to try and, you know, do those things. I, I, I can't see a strong argument almost on anybody's uh, part to do anything different to what we're doing and it, and it even helps you know the, there's as long as everybody stands you know we're giving people the opportunity to vote the way that they want but we're recognizing kind of the the allegiances that people already have and 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 working to those you know it, it just seems sensible or brand. And Helen, no, we haven't yet selected our candidate for the by-election. I know you were the, the candidate in 2019, so it's important just to get that um, to get that right for all listeners. But I take it um, the risos are being charged, and the, the orange ink drums are being purchased, and you guys in, uh, in will be ready to have leaflets and everything ready to go fairly soon, I imagine. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we've uh, we've had quite a busy week, and uh, hopefully we'll be getting going as soon as possible. Brilliant. So, like I say, to all those people, if you do need to uh, find out more information, either contact the Shropshire Lib Dems themselves, or like I say, go get on the, the North Shropshire uh, by-election HQ. I think that will probably do us for by-election. Unless anyone else has got anything before we start talking a little bit. David? Well, the only thing I wanted to say, John, is just we obviously talked along uh, along the lines of you know corruption and scandals in, in Westminster. But one thing we also kind of briefly touched on was the, the general public's feeling about politicians and uh, how this really damages them. Um, you know, I know obviously you said that you, you only really had the opportunity to talk to Bosley about it. But um, I, I've had the, the, the benefit of uh, having two weeks paternity leave and having several visitors and people telling me all sorts of things. Um and, you know, one thing that came up time and time again was this view that politicians seem to only go to Westminster to line their pockets. Now, that, I think, is awful because, there's, you know, the, I would say the vast majority of MPs go to Westminster to represent their constituency, represent their constituents. Most of the time, it's the, the place they grew up in and have lived in and they really want to change things. But is there a wider piece here of even if we're not talking corruption or scandals, do we really need to address this idea of MPs at Westminster having two, three, more than three multiple jobs and how that really damages the view of what our politicians are doing well there at Westminster? I, I, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a brilliant point, actually, because um, one thing that comes up, I mean, there's an argument, are we paying MPs enough? For me, I think, yes, they've had a, a very significant increase in pay uh, over because it was below... I think it was around sixty odd thousand. Now it's mm-hmm. up beyond eighty thousand. Eighty-five, yeah, yeah, that's right. So they've had, they have had mainly because they took the 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 decision outside of MPs' hands, which was a correct thing to do. It's all done by an independent body. But I think you're right there because the issue about second jobs, etc. And again, and I think it was Laura Gordon, one of our one of our regulars, said like this is about safe seats. You know, when if you have a an electoral system that the pressure on an MP doesn't come from their population but from their party it, it it leads to this sort of thing so if owen patterson was in a non wasn't in a particularly safe seat would he try this sort of nonsense my guess is probably not no i i don't think he would and i think actually you know there's a number of things that we probably need to address in terms of, of the, you know the structural 
uh, way that Westminster's run that would probably help us actually stop a lot of this happening. I mean, if you look at things like sitting hours during the week, um, obviously, let me separate out things like Monday and Thursday because MPs are travelling, so that's why they have later sitting hours. But if you look at you know Tuesday and Wednesday, Parliament doesn't sit until you know two o'clock in the afternoon. And you have to ask yourself, what are these MPs doing for the majority of that time in the morning? And in most cases, it's where people have maybe a second job in the city or they are doing another job and it gives them time to do that. Is that really what we want our MPs spending their time on when there's such important issues that need to be dealt with in the country at the moment? Um, one thing I was going to say was, uh, um, you know, spending a bit of time talking about US politics in the past. This was something that I kind of thought was, oh, US politics is really bad for lobbying and people having second jobs. And now it seems to be that that's something that's becoming more prevalent in British politics. And uh, the, the, the great comedian Bill Maher said, well, perhaps we need to start asking our politicians like NASCAR race drivers to wear the logos of the companies that they represent. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, one of the, I mean, the, the, before I bring the rest of the panel on this, one of the things that came up, we said, uh, when it came up on Twitter, uh, you know, Owen Patterson resigns, uh, and all the people wondered from which job. That was that was the thing that came up. But any particular views on this from the rest of the panel? I think there's an argument that, like a non-executive directorship, it can give you an insight into what's going on in industry, mm. um, you know, th there are arguments as to why it's okay, but personally, I think they need to be limited in terms of how much time you can spend on them and how much salary you can earn from them because you know well I mean the Randox example is one he was earning more from that job than he was from being an MP and therefore again it looks bad you know where do your lo loyalties lie people are going to jump to a conclusion that may or may not be right so I think they certainly need to be restricted very severely if not if not got rid of. I think the other thing as well is not just the jobs that they have, you know, uh, whilst being an MP at the same time, but also that idea of a revolving door. And there's been so little enforcement of that, especially at the ministerial level. And the number of times that I've seen sort of a minister going into a, a job after they've been a minister, that just I, seems inappropriate. And in some cases is inappropriate. And there's been no sanction on that. You know, it's happened again and again. So th all of the rules, it's, you know, multiple places, you're seeing the same lack of uh, restriction and the same sense of uh, kind of morality being, you know, not existing. There isn't a, the, there's no moral case being made for this is not acceptable. Um, and that's feeding through in just in all the decisions that you see are consistent with this idea of, of letting people get away with it. Final word, yeah. Alison, on this whole topic goes to you, Alison. I just wonder how they fit it all in. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm quite busy as it is being a councillor. Um, I imagine, you know, for an MP, it's quite a demanding job. I imagine your inbox is absolutely crazy full of people who need your help. You know, are you really dealing with your constituents' needs or are your eyes elsewhere? Yeah, um, that's a, it's a brilliant point. Could, could I make one final point on this, John? Just Go on then, David. Um, just I wanted to make one quick uh, quick point, and that was the fact that um, I did laugh when I saw, and I wouldn't name names, but when I saw certain Labour MPs who were quite quick to criticise Owen Patterson, that when it came out, obviously, about Jeremy Corbyn accepting you know 20 grand off of the Iranian press TV to, to do work for them, that were stood defending him and saying that it was absolutely fine to do that. And I just think it's you know very hypocritical of people to take that stance and then obviously criticise uh, Owen Patterson. I, you know, I said a, a root and branch review of well, like I said, I, I think I genuinely believe you can't have progressive politics without a progressive uh, electoral system. It just it just encourages people to to do bad things, unfortunately, and to take for granted what they've got. Because like I said we're all well, ha half of us are, are local councillors, and it's just like we we don't get into it for the money or power. Or, you know, we wouldn't be Lib Dems really, probably. But it's the fact that you know. We have to scrap usually for every single vote. And if you don't, then you can get very complacent. And I think that's what's happened here, unfortunately. Um, right, let's talk a little bit, shifting slightly onto the other big issue that's come up this week. We obviously had a deal with um, COP26 has been going on. Now, I'm going to do, I don't know if this is controversial or if I'm going to get told off for this, but I have struggled to engage with what's happening. I felt it's been when China and Russia didn't attend, I felt that the... The outcomes of this were going to be fairly limited, and um, and, and it looks like 
that you know there's a lot of chat now saying you know Greta Thunberg has been on saying the the, the only success this uh, conference has had is that it's united people that they have to try harder um and i think that i mean i'm struggling i mean what is the the rest of the panel think what are their views of cop 26 and what's happened this last week i think it's it's uh, cop 26 has struggled because of you know the, the reality of where we are at the moment in terms of the world people's focus is very much elsewhere there's you know there's uh, big issues that we've just come through as a society as a global society um but i think first of all I, I do sort of agree with Greta's sentiments there that we do need to do more. I think we need to do more on climate change as a whole, but I do think there are significant uh, gains that have been made as a result of COP26. I mean, I, I think the one thing that's come out is obviously compared to uh, Paris when they had COP in Paris, where you know the global community only agreed to sort of cap emissions at 2.5 uh, degrees Celsius um, increase. We've now got that down to, I believe it's 1.8. Obviously, the goal is to get it down to 1.5. So there's still quite a degree that needs to be done. But in terms of um, other countries making significant investments in uh, smaller, less well-off nations who cannot make investments in renewable technology and, and green energy, uh, we have seen significant gains. A lot of um, uh, African nations have now been uh, given significant funding to try and get them off of fossil fuels. And I think all of these are good things that should be celebrated. Um, but as always with global politics, we we could and should be doing more. Helen? Uh, I'm, oh. I'm going to declare an interest uh, in, in slightly in this, in that I've been doing some work for one of the exhibitors at COP26. Um, so fully declared, £120 I earned for doing some graphic design for somebody at COP26. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry about this, listeners. I had no idea we had such a scandal in the Lib Dem pod. Double job in it, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's outrageous. <laughs> but having talked to them, I, 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 not to name names, but the, the lack of the sort of attention to detail on organisation going on, you know, they'd applied to have um, a... Uh, session at COP26 where it was uh, speakers and so on and like a couple of days before the event they didn't know if it was happening you know, they they hadn't had any response back they hadn't been told yes or no and so they were literally waiting with a couple of days to go to see if they had like an hour session at which point they would suddenly have to leap in and organize the speakers and get it all invited they just didn't know what was going on so the level and they've you know had uh, been at previous cops and it wasn't at that level you know this is the worst organized from what i've heard behind the scenes cop that there has been um and so you know talking about what is it going to achieve i think part of that is the the people who are involved aren't able to get on with the practical work of trying to deliver things. It's It's been really bad. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been some interesting headlines coming out about, redu about reducing deforestation and reducing use of coal. To me, it also seems to have fallen a bit short. You know, the big coal producers in the world aren't aren't there, or China isn't there. They've not agreed to reduce their coal use. Um, yeah, I, it feels a bit disappointing to me that the, the Indonesians are sort of rowing back a bit on the deforestation side of things. I think it's a bit of an opportunity missed. I, you know, there has been some good news to come out of it and, and, and we should welcome that. But to me, it seems like much more could have been achieved with a with, with stronger leadership, ultimately. Alison? Well, I'm left with sincerely hoping that the outcome of COP26, you know, is going to be positive and what, what the planet needs. Although I have a sort of sinking suspicion that it will fall well short and what will happen after that. The thing I've been wondering about this week is how it looks to people who aren't in you know, the political bubble that we're in. Um, I said uh, when we were watching the news the other night, you know, a lot of the coverage that the BBC have put out has been pre-prepared. Um, it's been, you know, here are, here's the journalist you know, in the rainforests of Brazil, talking about deforestation, meeting um, people engaged in um, log cutting and sort of local tribes. And it's all pre-prepared stuff because there's not that much for the BBC to be able to say about what's going on on a day-by-day -day basis. So I wonder, you know, if I wasn't um, heavily engaged in politics and on Twitter and so on, what would my perception be as a, you know, as a normal person? And 
I suspect people are really turned off by it and quite depressed by it. But it would be really fascinating to know, you know, if there are focus groups out there about perception on it, what that yeah. is. I, I, I think I'm in the exact same place as you, Alison. I'm not sure the public is overly bothered. Obviously, you really care about the issue. That's not what I'm saying. But about COP26, has that really cut through to the public? I'm I'm not there, to tell you the truth. I don't think it has. But, you know, there are things that I improved. There are stuff about countries not investing in coal, for example, in 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 other countries. Now, obviously, one of the big issues is that China and America are, still, are quite happy to invest in coal in their own countries. So the, everything is like kind of two steps forward, one steps back at the moment. And I think that's the, the frustration we've got, because whether we, we if we believe it's a climate emergency, then we've got to treat it like an emergency. And at the moment, I don't think we are just yet. Um, but speaking about disappointments and uh, and green issues i know david you do want to talk a little bit with your scottish lib dem hat on about what's going on in scotland regarding the green party and and the smp yeah look i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go on a, a bit of a rant here and uh, i'm trying to temper, Love everyone <laughs> and i'm trying to temper my west of scotland uh, vernacular and not swearing while i do this because i appreciate this is not an adult orientated podcast um, look, I had the pleasure or displeasure, if you will, uh, of standing against Patrick Harvey, obviously, in Glasgow Kelvin when I ran for the Scottish Parliament elections. For anybody who's not aware, the Scottish Green Party is obviously separate from the Green Party of, of uh, England and Wales. Um, they have a different leadership structure. They're a completely separate party. Uh, they are obviously nationalist orientated. Um, well, they pretend to be the environmentalists of Scotland and standing up for the, the green issues. They've entered into a, a coalition agreement and have taken up two ministerial positions with the SNP. And the way that the mask has slipped mm. within the couple of months that they've been in government of where their priorities lie, and the fact that Patrick Harvey, Lorna Slater, Ross Greer, the whole mob of them, are interested in one thing, and that's independence, and they're willing to use a global stage like COP26 to say, we are here to promote Scotland as an independent nation, as opposed to, oh, maybe the thing that you were elected to do, which is promote environmentalism and green issues, is just absolutely laughable. And to see them then come out and attack Greenpeace for making the case against Nicola Sturgeon, not taking a position to say, we will not open up more oil fields in Campbell, is just frankly boggles the mind and it's laughable to have Ross Greer go on TV as an apologist for Nicola Sturgeon and say, oh, you know, Greenpeace, they don't really understand Scotland and Scotland's politics, so they really shouldn't comment on it because they don't have an office here. I mean, it's, excuse me, it's, it's effing enraging because this is an, a, a climate uh, agency that operates globally it understands politics in places, part of the world that Ross Greer has never been to and has probably never seen. And their membership and their leadership has done more for the climate emergency than probably any of the Scottish Green Party uh, elected officials have ever done. It just absolutely enrages me. And I, I really hope that they get their comeuppance because when I raised this, I had members of the Scottish Green Party go, oh, well, when you went into a coalition, you lied about tuition fees. This is the one thing that you are set out to deal with, and that's environmental disaster and the climate emergency. And you've just single-handedly pushed that aside for a coalition agreement and to back Nicola Sturgeon. And, and just to you know, namby-pamby sort of say, oh, we're not going to talk about this Campbell oil field. It's, it's absolutely enraging, and I hope more people pick up on it, and I hope they get their comeuppance as a result. I don't know if this is because you've just kind of got a little bit angrier, David, but your background's only got a lot brighter. I don't know if, you, if you've if you got some sort of kinetic light bulb energy going on there, but I mean, it, it is it is interesting when you look at the, the green part. I mean, like I said, I, I was a councillor during coalition and stuff, and, it, you know, you do have to hold your nose at times, but it does seem remarkable what the, the green lib... Uh, the Green Lib Dems, sorry. I I'm not going to go to the Green Lib Dems. Uh, the, uh, the Scottish Green Party has now got itself into. And But do you think there will be a, a consequence to this, David? I, I think, honestly, uh, from what I've seen from a lot of people who voted Green, and look, I've been contacted by uh, some people who connected with me when I ran in Glasgow Kelvin, which is obviously where Patrick Harvey stood, young people who voted for him on the basis of the fact that the, you know he made this big stand for the environment and he was there to obviously promote green issues for the next generation who are angry and feel betrayed that they've decided to just sort of throw away 
all their uh, all their ideals and policies to to get into government, and I don't really know what they've achieved as a result of it. So um, I, I think it's going to be difficult for the Scottish Green Party. Um, you know, when they won't stand up to their coalition partners when they decide they're going to back a third runway for Heathrow which is one of the things that they supposedly are very anti-against, when they won't stand up to their coalition partners, when they will not outright say whether they support or don't support further oil fields and production in Scotland, which is something that when I debated Patrick, he said he was absolutely committed against. Uh, I, I really don't know what they stand for, if that's the case. And I, I recommend to all our listeners and viewers, we did a, we did a whole episode about how Lib Dems should approach the Green Party, uh, not just the Scottish Greens, but across the whole patch. Um, so it's called, are the Greens our friend? Uh, so go check that out, because it was really interesting from local parties that have dealt with them and local parties that absolutely stand everywhere, doesn't matter what the Greens kind of do. So do go check that out. I suppose one thing, the final thing on the Green Party is whether the Green Parties have to find something else as their unique selling point at the moment, because if everyone's talking about green issues and, I'm I'm really glad in Britain that it's not a kind of a, a massively polarizing issue, uh, climate change, like it is in America, Democrats on one side, Republicans on the other. It is a very polarized. Actually, all the political parties have generally, I don't think there's many climate change deniers in any political major political party now. Um, but do we think the Greens are going to have to adapt? Do you think they're going to have to move away to adopt other things? There's a lot of ex-Corbyn supporters have joined the Greens in recent uh, in recent months. So are the Greens going to change themselves? I don't know if anyone else wants to come in on that. I don't know how, if you were the Green Party, you could. I mean, it's such a fundamental of that's what they are. So what you know? How do you? How would you go about breaking that? Uh, being the whole pu- purpose of your party. Well, you know, if, if you're if going I can to make... campaign on something else, then you're not. That's not who you are. Well, if I could make one point, John, and then I'll shut up and try and let other people talk. <laughs> um, but the uh, look, for me, if it, it stands in when you talked about obviously some disaffected Corbyn supporters have gone off and joined the Green Party, and um, it's because the Greens view this sort of uh, this lens of you know, action on the environment and action on climate change can only be delivered through far left socialist principles. And as we've seen now, they will probably struggle with the fact that every party has shown that there is a way to deal with this issue without really tying it into that ideological view of the world. Um, and I, I think they will seriously struggle when people start to realise that actually, probably consumer trends are the biggest things that are pushing a lot of big companies and corporates to change the way that they're working. Yeah, Alison, how would you like to come on this? Yeah, um... I think that the Greens have got a fair way to go yet on riding that wave of people being worried about the climate emergency and wanting to go to the ballot box and express that in some way. Um, So I think it'll be a while before they have to start thinking about having an all-encompassing package of policies that they need to campaign on across the piece. I think it's also worth saying that my observation is that the people who are in the Green Party are quite a, a mixed coalition of people coming from all sorts of backgrounds. So you, you had your Corbynites, but you also have, you know, sort of kind of the anti-housing, protect the countryside, sort of more small C conservative types. And it's, it's an interesting mix that they've got to try and hold together and manage. Yeah, I mean, I would probably agree with Alison. That's certainly what we see um, in, in when we speak to Green supporters here. I and mean, quite a lot of young people as well voting Green. Um, so I don't, I don't think that they need to start worrying about changing their message just yet. I think most people are engaged in environmental issues. And, and I think that if that's your top priority, then, then the Greens are attractive to you, to be quite honest with you. I think it's up to the rest of us to make the case that we have strong environmental policies and that we're you know, strong across the board, really. And I do wonder, this is to round this off, because it actually goes on what Helen said and links into what David said there, is I can remember at the last general election, Greenpeace did a, uh, rated each manifesto and I can remember the Green parties, I think us and the Greens were absolutely neck and neck on in terms of Green policies as part of our manifesto. And the Greens were furious with Greenpeace for doing it because it kind of, it takes away, again, their unique selling point in terms of we are, if you want the climate, then we are the people to do it. And actually, the fact is Lib Dems were just as green and, ha- and ha- would 
as good in the last general election in our manifesto. So we will see. But maybe there's a the green versus green peace fight might continue, David. We'll see what that we'll see what comes up. But thank you so much, guys, uh, for coming on this podcast. It's been absolutely brilliant. Remember to everyone, everywhere, if you can help out in in North Shropshire, please do do find out. There's always ways you can do it, whether that's in person or remotely. Um, I want to thank everyone for being on this. So thank you, Helen. Thank you, Alison. Thank you, Sam, and thank you, David. My name is John Potter. Um, you can catch everything to do with the Lib Dem podcast at, at Lib Dem Pod. Thank you very much to our Patreon subscribers who do throw us a little bit of money every month to keep the podcast going. We, we really appreciate that. We get no funding from Central Party whatsoever. Uh, and if you've got any comments about this issue, I mean, we talk about uh, Owen Patterson. What has been your main takeaway from this scandal? Um, what, do, what do you think the Lib Dems should be doing? How hard should we be fighting? What do you think about Leicester East? Uh, and what do you think about COP26 as well? We love hearing your feedback on it, especially on YouTube as well, where we get the most comments uh, coming through. So thank you. As always on YouTube, you get the most comments. But thank you so much to everyone. Thank you to our panel. And we're back with another episode very soon. <laughs>